Church, I wonder, do you need him? Do you need him? I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. We're all in desperate need of a Savior who not just does the beginning work of cleansing us of our sins, but then does the work of saving us and resurrecting us throughout all of these moments of our lives. And I just wonder sometimes if maybe we just get so comfortable even coming in here or just living our lives with air conditioning and Amazon and just all the easy things. I don't know. Do we get too comfortable to this point where we, we don't acknowledge our, our desperate need for the Lord? I'm going to humbly admit to you, I've had moments where I've sang these songs and been a complete fraud because I didn't believe that I needed what the Lord had to offer. And in his mercy, he humbled me and showed me that I do need him. And that I can sing these songs now, not as a fraud. Praise the Lord. <laughs> in his mercy, he disciplines and corrects us. How loving, right? How loving is he? So I just ask that as we sing this next song, we will sing the, the words, Jesus, I need you. And if you find yourself maybe in a place where you can't quite sing those, so those words with, with full assurance that you do need him, would you sing it anyway? Boldly declare it with this body of believers who also believe the same thing and that that will rise and their testimony, the word of our testimony gathered together may increase your faith. And if you need to kneel here or at your seat or sit down or take whatever posture in your body that your heart says, I need you, Lord, there's freedom in this place. You can do that. But let's sing these words together and let it be our testimony that we are a people in desperate need of a Savior, Jesus Christ.
We know that you are here and moving. God, you are, you are humbling us before you as a body. You are humbling us and showing us our desperate need for you to come in and, and just change us from the inside out, Lord. That is, that is the prayer of our heart. I ask that here and now you would just continue moving. Lord, as, as Pastor Mara comes and as Pastor Brian comes to speak to us, Lord, through the rest of this service, would you just um, be so evident in the way that you are moving and changing our hearts, Lord. We love you. We praise you for who you are and what you've done. It's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray. And honestly, before you get too comfortable, I'm going to ask you to stand up for just one more minute. I am so excited to get to be in here with you. And not just that I get to be in here, but you might have looked around and noticed that our kids are in here with us too. So we don't usually get to bring you upstairs to our kids' worship service. We're going to bring a little bit of it to you. And I promise there is nothing childish about what we're about to do together. Every week after we sing and we worship together, we go over three essential truths. And these things are things that I want them to know backwards and forwards when they fall asleep at night, when they wake up in the morning. These are so, so tucked in their hearts that they can say them in their sleep. And they have motion. So you guys are going to get to do them with us together. All right. So our first one, we're going to put your hands straight up. And we're going to read it together. Come on, Emerson. Can you help me? All right. I can trust God no matter what. All right. That's our first one. Our second one, God gave us this wonderful thing called a brain. Go ahead and put your fingers up by your brain. And the Holy Spirit gives us discernment and wisdom. So what do we need to do with that? I need to make the wise choice. 
Good. All right. And God surrounds us with people every day. Some know him and some don't. And we get to be that light to them. So I want you to use your hands. It's hard for me to hold a microphone, but pick a couple of friends in here. Pick a couple of people. And let's commit to this. I should treat others the way I like to be treated. And we always have to do this one twice because this is the easiest one to forget. So one more time. I should treat others the way I like to be treated. All right, great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your help. So we do this every week. And you might be like, well, why? I mean, once they know it, don't, don't we just keep going? Well, I want this to frame so many of the conversations that we have upstairs. As we are digging into the Bible, as we're talking about their weeks, we can keep falling back on these together. And honestly, a lot of the reading and research that I've done has showed that some of the first conversations that you have with kids around a specific topic, those are those anchor points. So when we're talking about trust with our kids, I want them to immediately go back to, I can trust God no matter what. Because the world's going to tell them some different things about trust. Trust your gut, trust your heart, trust all of these things. But I want them to go, wait, when I was five, I, I learned I can trust God no matter what. And that affects every part of our life, our choices. When people start to talk about choices, I want them to go, well, wait, I need to make a wise choice. And how do I make a wise choice? Well, I, I seek God first. And the people around me, I don't just use them and abuse them for my own gain, but I, I interact with them in the way that I like to be treated. So we talk about these every single week with our kids, and that really sets up everything we do. So many of our Bible passages and stories, we can pull back to this. Last month, we had the great chance um, to study the book of Ruth, which is kind of uncommon in kids' ministry where you kind of park yourself in one thing for too long because there's just so much to get to. But the book of Ruth has some wonderful characters. There's cliffhangers. There's all sorts of elements that really make for a really great story. But I feel like we were missing it if we left it at just, man, that's a really great story that has a happy ending and it all just gets tied up. And instead I was working and, and talking with the kids about how do we dig into this a little bit deeper and look for those ways that Ruth and Naomi are, are trusting God no matter what, that they're making wise choices. They're stepping out in faith, but not, not out of ignorance, but in wisdom. And then looking at the way the characters treated each other. It would have been easy for Ruth to stay back in Moab. That's, that's where her people were. But instead, she was so loyal to Naomi. And it would have been easy for Boaz to kind of say, actually, there's this other guy, and this isn't really my, my spot. And yet his loyalty to her. And so as we were walking through it this month, there were so many opportunities for us to really just look at how Ruth's life had some ups and downs and how our lives have ups and downs. And yet there are certain things that just remain so constant through it all. Last week we wrapped up and I handed my sixth grade small group a Venn diagram as we were discussing this. And of course they all groaned because apparently it's summer break and you don't do school on summer break. <laughs> I didn't get that memo. My kids actually, our summer break is just starting. So, but as we were staring at this Venn diagram, I was reminding them how these work, how this is a comparing and contrasting tool, and then the overlap is the part that's true about both. So we started pondering life. I'm sitting there with my sixth graders, and we're talking about how there's parts of life that are good and bad and hopeful and, and heartbreaking and and that's just how life goes. And we don't really stay in any one place for too long, it feels like. I loved so many of our songs this morning had that contrast of blessing and, and, and trials and, and mourning and dancing and how it all weaves together 
into, into our story. So I had them write down on one side kind of situations and, and things that were, that were bad or hard about life, and then on the other side, situations that were good or have blessed them or have brought them joy. And in the middle, we were really talking about, I'm like, that overlap, we used our big idea for the week, that God takes care of us. So whether we're going through something hard, he's taking care of us. And when we're going through the good things, he's taking care of us there too. And in both of those situations, it's sometimes easy to forget that. When things are going really good, we can kind of feel like we're doing great things and we're kind of taking care of ourselves. And then when things are going bad, we can start to scramble and be like, well, what other things do I need to do to take care of myself because this isn't working? But yet I think he's always calling us and drawing us back to that, that middle part that he's taking care of us. He's the constant. Our life situations, they kind of change and they can, they can move. But he is there and he's constant through it all. So I know my week this week is going to have highs and lows. I don't have to be able to predict the future to know that there's going to be good days and there's going to be hard days. And I would say that's probably true for all of us. Maybe you know already what's going to be hard about your week. Or maybe you already have those things that you're looking forward to that are going to be really great about your week. But can I invite you, as you think about your week this week, to maybe picture this Venn diagram, but then in the middle, feel the ways that God is calling you towards the good and the bad in that middle that we can still trust God no matter what. Whether it's a hard time or a wonderful time, he still is calling us to make wise choices through the power of the Holy Spirit. And out of that, we should just be overflowing with love for the people around us. I'm going to invite Pastor Brian to keep speaking. always love how God weaves things together when maybe we don't have much to do with it. Well, I got a little bit of good news. We, we, you know, when we first were planning our move, I didn't intentionally plan that we would have ownership of our house on one day and the truck would come three days later. But uh, I was kind of worried my wife wouldn't like our house because she's never seen it. She's never been on the inside of it. And I was afraid, well, that would give her a couple days to change her mind. So she didn't want to unpack the truck at all. But uh, we got into our home last night, and she does like it, so I, I get to stay. So, so that's a little bit of, maybe that's good news for most of you. Maybe some of you are disappointed at that. But uh, anyway, you'll stay. Thank you, Zion. Zion will stay with me. So, but it's been a very uh, up and down season in our life, as Pastor Mara was talking about. We've had a lot of great moments for our family to celebrate, but in the midst of all of this transition, it's been very, uh, there have been some very tiring days, some very draining days. So we're excited about uh, being in our home. Uh, you know, when they, when they tell you uh, family's more important than all your stuff, we lived that last night. We had a house full of family and no stuff. <laughs> so it, it's quite interesting. But uh, the, the kids uh, really enjoyed just having literally the run of the house, and it, it's a little echoey and loud. But that'll change this week, and we appreciate all those who are able to come in and help uh, as we get a little bit closer to having both feet on the ground here in Marysville. It's uh, last night as I left the office, it's like, I get to go home. It's the first time I was able to say that. And it, and it was like, wow, that's kind of emotional. But, um, and, but I have to be, is the emotions because we're tired or because we're excited or maybe a little bit of both? But uh, thank you for being a part of that, for being patient with us as we get settled. And we are looking forward to being part of, the, of this, the, this community, uh, not just this faith community, but also this community in general and all that God has for us. We've been going through these early days together talking about how God is stitching us together. 
and how each of us bring different uh, textures and colors and fabrics and patterns and stories in, into this God story that he then weaves together and stitches together in a way that only he can. And uh, while we have different stories, what I'm finding is as you share with me, while we're different, there's a, this common similarity underneath all of it, how God has been at work, how God's led you here. So many of you have already begun to share with me uh, what God has done in your life or is doing in your life. And, and that, that excites me because what I get to get a feel for very early on is that God is at work here. God's doing something here. He's done something. He's doing something in your life. And that's worth sharing. We have a world who needs to know that we have a God who's active, who is alive, who cares, and who loves them. And as you share your story with me, my hope is in the days and, and weeks and years to come is that we will learn and look for opportunities to share our stories with those who don't yet know him. No matter what our age might be, no matter how old or young we may be, how experienced or inexperienced we might be, God has a purpose. We have a part to play because we're all part of the body of Christ. Last week, we learned that we are messengers. We, we've been entrusted with the good news. And we get to share that uh, from this, this position of victory, we get to live life. Because the victory has already been won. Christ has risen from the grave. The tomb is still empty. So we live life every day from this position of victory. And it's only when we allow Satan to convince us that we're getting beaten or that we were defeated, that, that we look at life through a different lens, that we begin to get off track. But we've been given the good news. And we learned that God is more than a good luck charm. When the Ark of the Covenant was, was used as a tool to win a battle, and when the people had turned away from God and taken his glory for themselves, we were challenged with this idea, are we give, glory givers or are we glory takers? And I believe we are a church, a faith family that strives and wants to glorify God with our lives. So those, those two pieces are our beginning, and, and today God has something I hope was very special in the life of our church. I hope it's because something becomes a normal part of, of our worship together in the days to come. And some of you may be looking at what's up front, and you're like, uh-oh, what's going on here? Well, we're going to talk about that. We'll get to that in just a moment. One of the things I've learned in, in my own study in recent days, not just pastorally, but personally, and especially as you study the Gospels, is that Jesus is kind of a linear teacher. And what, what I mean by that is just as you go to first grade, you have to master first grade skills before you can go to second grade. You have to master second grade skills before you go to third grade, so on and so forth. We have to get them in order, otherwise it's difficult to learn what's ahead. Jesus does the same thing in his, in his word. The teachings he has for his disciples, whether it be through leadership or, or through, through being the type of, of disciple he wants them to be, or whether he's just teaching the crowds, it's linear. He's building upon his message, and he wants them to understand that there's a progression here. We see it many times in Scripture, especially when there are those who want, they want the Holy Spirit, or they want this gift, or they want what Jesus has, but they're getting it out of order. He says, no, you've got to go back and start at the beginning. Listen to what I've taught you. Practice it. Walk it out. It'll start to make sense. So today's going to sort of be out of order for our early days together, but I think it's going to make sense when we get done with it. Uh, we're going to continue these next couple of weeks talking about compassion, how God weaves compassion in, into our story. We're talking about generosity, and we're talking about discipleship. But today, uh, there's a key foundational topic that I believe God has for us that he wants to stitch into our lives, into this beautiful tapestry that he's designed for us that's critical and essential. As we peel back the layers of all that he has for us, who he is, and what he's trying to teach us, he begins to reveal to us his purpose, uh, this mission and calling that he has for us, individually and corporately. 
Some of you may have asked, or maybe you're asking now, how do I know what God is calling me to? Maybe you haven't gotten to the place in your faith yet where you've asked that question at all. I hope that you do, because God has a purpose for you. But if you're wondering, how do I know what he's calling me to? Asking the question is a great place to start, and ultimately the answer comes as we follow and imitate Jesus. So to know what he's calling you to, begin by following after him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, uh, the disciple Peter, now the apostle Peter, he writes, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. To this you were called. You were called to follow. Follow his example. What does it mean to follow after Jesus? Do the things that Jesus did. Love the way that Jesus loved. Care about people the way that Jesus cared about them. Do what he did. Follow his example. And when you read through the Gospels, we quickly see the side of Jesus that we're going to focus on this morning. He was a teacher. He was a healer. He was a chef. He was a feeder of of thousands. He was affirming, yet also correcting. Always thinking of and putting others first. Jesus sums himself, sums up himself, if you will, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And he tells his disciples, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, just so we understand the context, this is in response to James and John asking Jesus, imagine uh, the audacity they have for the seats next to him in heaven. When we get to heaven, Jesus, can I sit on one side and my brother sit on the other? Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to be served, to give his life. This happens just before the triumphal entry. Isn't it ironic? They're still learning incredible lessons all the way up to the point of Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, and death. Just prior in Mark chapter 9, they're asking the question, they're having this conversation amongst themselves, the disciples are, Jesus isn't included, they're kind of whispering in the back, and they're having this conversation of who's the greatest. Can you just see these 12 disciples kind of jostling back and forth, elbowing each other, pushing one another? No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Just don't let Jesus hear us. You're talking about who's the greatest. And Jesus asked them, what was it you guys were talking about? He already knew. They all got kind of, well, you know, Jesus, it really wasn't a big deal. They're having this conversation, and they knew they shouldn't be having. And we read in verse 9 of Mark chapter 9, verse 35, this is in the message version. He says, he sat down, he summoned the 12, and he says to them, so you want first place? You want first place? Then take last place. Be a servant of all. Want to be first? Start by being last. This is profound. This is culture countercultural, culture defying. It was countercultural then, and it's countercultural even today. Be last? Who wakes up in the morning and says, All right, Lord, I'm ready to be last today? We don't live life like that. And here Jesus is saying, You want first place? Then take the last place. This is critical in our discipleship. It's essential to our faith. And I think the understanding of what he's teaching his disciples in this moment, we have to wrap our minds around in order for us to be truly Christ-like. Learning to be last. That just doesn't mean just because you stink at everything and you're always the last one. It doesn't mean being late to everything. That just means you have this, this idea in your mind that 
as we sang and talked about earlier, as, as Pastor Mar talked with us about, we're going to treat others the way that we want to be treated. We're going to put them first. Thinking of others first. That brings me to where I want to focus today, John chapter 13. This is an incredibly beautiful passage. But yet, if we're honest, probably a pretty challenging one. Easy in some regards, but if we really get to the heart of what Jesus is trying to show them, extremely difficult. John chapter 13, he's participating in the Last Supper with his disciples. And the scripture tells us in verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus knew that the time was coming that he was going to be betrayed. And he wanted to have this last meal with his disciples. And we all know about the story of the Last Supper. And this account isn't in, in all of the Gospels. It's in the Gospel of John. And we read in verse 3, Jesus knew. What did Jesus know? Go back to verse 2. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. See, Jesus knew what was about to happen, but Jesus was going to allow it anyway because it had to happen for God's purposes to be fulfilled. Jesus knew. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. A little bit of context so you understand what's happening. When a person would host a party, be it a dinner party or a gathering or have a group of friends over, so to speak, it was customary to to have a, a servant or even the host themselves wash your feet as you came into the home. My, my wife's already instituted a no-shoes rule, so uh, upstairs, right? So we, we, we're going to keep that house clean for at least two days. And um, <laughs> that rule, well, it'll still be in place next week, but we'll see how much it's practiced. Uh, but no, anyway, we understand that. The reason being, our feet get dirty. And especially in, in this context of this time, there were no paved roads, so the roads were dusty, they were dirty. And what was happening is you would go from place to place, and the dust would kick up, and your feet would would get all dirty. So you'd go into someone's home for dinner, and there'd be someone by the door to wash your feet. It's kind of customary. Now you see hands, please wash hands before returning to work, or you have hand sanitizer stations everywhere you go. You have kind of these foot sanitizing stations everywhere you went. But on this particular day, as they're gathering for the Passover meal, there isn't anybody there to wash their feet. Go back to Luke chapter 7. There's this beautiful account where Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus and some of his disciples to come to his house for a meal. And they're sitting down eating. And all of a sudden, a sinful woman, Scripture calls her, comes into the house and has this jar of perfume. And she pours it over Jesus' head. And, and she falls down to his feet. And with her tears, her, her, her tears are wetting his feet. And she's drying his feet with her hair. Can, can you imagine this? Dust and tears make mud. And with her hair, she, she's kind of washing, washing Jesus' feet. And Simon the Pharisee says, what's she doing? She's ruining the party. Jesus, don't you realize what's going on here? And Jesus says, yeah, I do. Do you? Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, do you see this woman? Let's not miss what he's really asking. Yes, physically he sees her. He's asking, do you see her the way that I see her? And church, that's, I want us to get that, that part across because what we're going to get into next is really important. We see the world around us. But the question Christ has for us today is, do you see the world around you? How lost they are. 
how desperate they are, how hopeless it is without him. Do we see the world as he sees it? Do we see people as he sees them? Jesus saw her. He says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. See, it was expected that when you had guests over that that you or a servant washed your guests' feet and Simon the Pharisee wasn't about to wash other people's feet. That's why he didn't understand who Jesus was or why he'd come. So Jesus gets up at the Last Supper with his disciples, puts the towel of a servant around his waist, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. You think they were talking behind their backs wondering who was the greatest. What do you think they're wondering now? I wish I'd uh, clipped my toenails before dinner tonight. Wish I hadn't uh, been in such a hurry to and, and miss some stuff. Jesus is washing my feet. And then he gets to Peter. Don't you love Peter? Peter's in Scripture because we need Peter in Scripture. And Peter says, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, yes, I am. Peter says, no, no, you're not. Peter understood. That's what a servant does. You can't do that to me. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't do this, you have no part with me. It wasn't about having clean feet. That's what Jesus was talking about. If you don't understand this message, Peter, if you don't understand what I'm trying to teach you now, Peter, see, this is linear, Peter. If you don't get this and you haven't gotten anything that I've taught you up to this point, and if you don't get this, Peter, you can't have any part with me. In this moment, Peter does something that I hope that we all would do. Peter grabs that bucket and kind of figuratively says, all right, Jesus, if not just my feet, but you're going to do all of me, and dumps it on himself. He doesn't really do that, but you can kind of picture what's happening. All right, Jesus, I want to be all in. Not just my feet, but my hands too, and my knees, and my elbows, and everything in between. Wash all of me. If you keep reading, I encourage you to perhaps read this passage on your own this week. There's a lot of depth that's going on in in this moment. This passage, there's some parallel narratives that I'm not going to get into today, but are very important uh, to properly understanding. And we read in verses 10 through 13 uh, that that what Judas is about to do. And and what Jesus is trying to show to his disciples then, they don't get it yet, but he's trying to show us especially now. Jesus is affirming his authority over all things. Jesus knows what's about to happen, and you know whose feet he washes next? Judas's feet. The one who's going to betray him. Can you imagine Jesus on his knees, washing Jesus' feet, looking up, making eye contact? We don't see that in Scripture, but can you imagine it? Can you picture it? We all know what Judas did, right? I looked away. You'd have to, wouldn't you? Kind of strolled or slumping. Why is he doing this to me? Jesus finishes. He tells Judas to go and do what it is that you're going to do. And he gets up. In verse 12, he says to his disciples, do you understand what I've done for you? Hmm. Do you understand what I've done for you? He continues in verses 14 and 15, now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
set an example. So when we read in 1 Peter to follow the example of Christ, don't you think Peter's talking about a moment just like this? Peter gets it. It took him a while, but he got it. Aren't you glad God's patient with us? In 2017, I had an opportunity to go to Peru with a group uh, from our church, and um, Sean and Seth, my, my sons, went with us with me as well. And there's a lot of stories I'll share about that that trip. It's a very profound trip in a lot of ways. But there was one particular day we were working at the church, and the, the parson was right next to the church. And and on this particular day, the the plumbing from the parsonage wouldn't wasn't working. It was backing up into the house, and even in Peru, that that's not a good thing. And the problem was uh, part of the septic line had, had, had collapsed into where the water wouldn't drain. And so while everybody was working on the church next to the house, uh, one of the members, one of the young men of the church named Josue and I began to work on this problem with the parsonage. And we had to, to dig up the, what they would call the septic tank. It's not like we would have a septic tank, kind of a box in the ground that would allow drainage. And you know what septic does. It's, it's not pleasant. And we found the tank, and then we had to dig backwards across the line back to the house to find out where the collapse was. So, so here we are uh, working on this septic tank, and, and things had uh, it'd been kind of a rough week, and it was really dusty. It was really hot there. It was uh, challenging in so many ways, but it was good. And I knew ahead of time that they were going to ask me to, to, to speak at one of the services and I had been preparing and thinking about, what am I going to talk about? Because you have to do this message that's then translated, and I wasn't sure. I didn't want him to be lost in translation. So you're trying to keep it simple, but yet also meaningful. And along the flying down, God had put on my heart this idea of doing a foot washing with the people in Peru. I'm thinking, well, I'd like to do that. that. That sounds pretty neat. And, but all, every week, every day, something would happen. to like, well, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe it's not what God has for us to do. Maybe he wants me to do something else. And on this particular day, here we are standing in a septic tank. Now I've got my work boots on. Josue's in his flip-flops. And he's just digging away. We're digging away. And all of a sudden, we, we hit a nest of fire ants. And he just keeps on digging. He wipes, scrapes them off, just keeps on going. No big deal. Why? Because he's, he's got something to accomplish. He's got something that he's done. And as we're standing in this septic tank, we finally find the problem. And we, we were able to fix it. And here we are. I'm standing in this tank. We're, we're, we're covered in ants. I'm in my boots. I've got this heat rash on my legs. It's not been a fun week. It's been a great week, but not fun by, by, in, in, this, in certain ways. But then I realized <laughs> I had this beautiful moment. And God kind of spoke to me and says, you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Standing in a septic tank in Peru. And I smiled. And Josue kind of looked at me and says, what are you smiling about? We're standing in a septic tank. And I said, I know, isn't it great? And I don't want to be anywhere else. Because in that moment, Jesus is right there beside me because that's where he would be. Standing in a septic tank in Peru, fixing this, this backup so, so that the pastor and his wife don't have this problem, and Josue and his flip-flops. Can you picture what's, what I'm talking about? And in the back of my mind, we're going to have a foot-washing service. Wow, God, thank you. Only you could put things together this way. And we, we had the service, and it was, I had asked the pastor about it, and he, he was like, yeah, that'd be great. We've never done that before. And I was, we weren't sure what to expect or how they would respond. Let me tell you, there wasn't a single person that didn't come forward, and we had an opportunity to wash their feet and uh, 
man, woman, child, it was incredible. And, and not, not just myself, but other members of our team. I think you've got a picture here next. This is, this is, this is 13-year-old Seth and, and one of our members of our team uh, washing uh, the feet of other children. It was incredibly powerful. We had people hanging through the windows of the church trying to come in. And then something inc more incredible happened. We weren't prepared for this part. All of a sudden, the people start pulling on us. We don't understand what they're saying. And they want to switch seats. They want us to sit down. And then they start to take over and wash our feet. And it was like, what's going on here? And it was like, wow, this is church. This is heaven. This is amazing what's happening. We didn't speak their language, but yet there was revival going on powerful. It's humbling. It's one of those moments that changes you from the inside out. Later in John chapter 13, Jesus, he says to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Love one now, in April, when we accepted the call to come here, very early on in my, my times of prayer and preparation, God laid upon my heart to begin my time here with a, a time of foot washing with the staff and with the board. And Thursday, as I met with the board, well, we did just that. I have to admit, I, I'd been preparing for two months. Yet when the time came, there, there was hesitation on my part. There was a little bit of uncertainty. There was like a, a little bit of a humility, if you will. How are they going to respond? Will anybody come? That it's not, you didn't have to. It was just something I made of option available to. And they did come. And God said, Brian, that's the point. This is a humbling thing to do and to have done. I, I'm one that, well, I'm a redhead, so you understand when I get embarrassed, as most of us do, we turn red, but I turn a deeper shade of red. I could feel it. That's not God. That was Satan. That, that was God reminding me of all the reasons that I needed to be doing what I was doing. So we shared this beautiful time together. And, and that's when you have this intersection of humility where the one who is performing the act is humble and the one... Uh, having their feet washed is humble, that this intersection is indescribable. It's biblically beautiful. So today, as we close our service, we're giving you an opportunity to have your feet washed. And don't get me wrong, we're not going to scrub between your toes. There's no digging for the sock lint. Don't get us wrong. It's not like that. It's simply pouring water, dab dry. It's a choice that when you step out of your seat, you, you, you're choosing to allow yourself to be humbled. To come and allow someone else to wash your feet. I have members of the staff and the board that are going to come and we have four different stations available for you. As they come and get ready, perhaps you need to start praying about getting ready. I, I recognize that some can't or you're not ready, you're not comfortable for this. So this is not mandatory. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand. It's just an opportunity. In my planning, in my heart, uh, perhaps you'd like to come as a family and do this together. 
Husbands, perhaps wash your wives' feet. Wives, wash your husbands. Moms and dads, your children. If that's the case, our volunteers will step out of the way and allow you that opportunity. Maybe you just want to sit back and watch and take it in. Pray about it. We're here to help or to facilitate or to do whatever we need to do to help you experience Jesus Christ in a new way. There's no right or wrong way in this moment. There's just a right or wrong heart. And I know some of you are thinking, boy, if I'd have known this, I'd have come later or slept in or done something else. I, I get it. I do. I get it. I understand. We're prepared if no one comes. We're prepared if everyone comes. It doesn't matter. I just wanted you to hear my heart. We're the body of Christ. Given this message of good news to, to glorify God. And we best do that when we love one another. So today we're going to give that opportunity to love each other. And as you leave, go about your day, your week. I pray that you will see this woman or your neighbor or your coworker or the people at Walmart the way that Jesus sees them. You'll love them. That you'll see the Judases in your life and you'll still be willing to wash their feet. Because Jesus did that. Because church, I believe much of what we're going to do to grow his kingdom is natural. It's a natural expression of us living out Christ-like lives. When we start doing that with one another, others are going to pay attention. They're going to know, want to know what's going on at that church. Doors are open for us to share our stories. Maybe for some, a new chapter begins for you today. So as you respond this morning, in whatever way that might look like, I pray that it would be just as Peter was, not just my feet, Lord, but all of me. Amy's going to lead us in worship for those while you're waiting or while you're thinking about it. As she does, for those that maybe desire to love one another as Jesus loved us, I invite you to come. We'll take as long as we need. Um, if it doesn't take long, well, I'll just change what I preach on the second service. <laughs> if we go over, we go over. It's all right. God's at work. That's the most important thing. So I invite you to stand. I want to pray. And as I'm done praying, as, as you feel led, if you want to, I invite you to come this morning. Be humble. Allow God to do something incredibly deep in your life. Father, thank you for this time to share together. I know this isn't an easy thing to even think about. I'm sure right now in this moment, there's some that are excited. There's some that are a little like, oh man, if I don't do this, what are people going to think? I don't want that to, to be what's going on. But Lord, I want there to be some genuine conversations with you going happening in this moment. Maybe it's a time of reconciliation. Maybe it's a time of, of, of just pausing and, and exhaling all those things in our lives that are getting in the way and inhaling more of you. I pray, Father, that you will just have your way with us in this moment. I pray, God, there'd be no other place we'd rather be than right here, right now. Lord, we are the body of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be glorified in these next few moments that we share in together. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
perfect servant to us, a perfect servant to death, even death on a cross. Give us a picture of your face, show us the measure of your grace, reveal the
set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you a part in it. Let us go this week and bring glory to God in all that we say and do. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.